Alright, this is Ricky. And this is Brendan. And you're listening to A Gentleman's Disagreement. What I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. Folks of different minds because even though it did not share the pains we share that American ideal. Friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz. Need an early morning buzz. All right, Brendan, it's Saturday afternoon, November the 27th. Um, hope you had your fill of turkey last Thursday. Somehow another Thanksgiving come and gone. I think a, a question that our listeners are, uh, are dying to know, what is your favorite Thanksgiving dish or side? Yeah, that sounds like something people are dying to know. Uh, I guess – so. I. Now we're going to get off into it on a tangent, but like Justin Thomas, the pro golfer, I don't know if you've seen this tweet. It's been floating around the last few years where someone on Twitter was like, um, come at me with your most controversial like food takes. And Justin Thomas replied, uh, Thanksgiving dinner is overrated. If it was so good, we'd have it more often. And I, I pretty much subscribe to that like heavily. Like I, I am in favor of tradition and doing the turkey and potatoes and green beans. And they're all good. I like all of those things, but it's not, I mean, whatever. I guess my favorite thing is like the cranberry sauce out of the can, because that's the thing I have really once a year at Thanksgiving. And so that's like my favorite. If I, if I was like, Hey, what are you looking forward to eating at Thanksgiving dinner? Cranberry sauce out of the can. How about you, Ricky? Wow. I, you know, I think that's a fair take. I think a lot of people don't end up with like a dry Turkey or something in it. It can, it can certainly be bland. I would argue you don't eat Thanksgiving dinner all the time because basically everything in it requires at least a stick of butter, if not more. So you would probably die if you had Thanksgiving on a, on a weekly basis, you'd die pretty quickly. But I am a big fan of gravy, which is essentially just fat on fat. Um, and I look forward to it every year and I have a lot of it. And now I don't feel very good, but. Uh, well, yeah, we're like very much in that holiday season now where it's where there's only like really three weeks, three, four weeks until like people get off for like, Christmas break and like the end of the, the holidays here. And it, it also feels like, you know, you're just like kind of drinking like pretty steadily. Like maybe you're not getting like super drunk every night, but it just feels like there's always like something where you're like kind of drinking, kind of hungover, eating a lot of food, the gravy, you know, it's like, uh, it's definitely not the healthiest, you know, month stretch of the year here. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Well, there's been a lot going on um, in spite of the sort of the, the slowdown that people might be experiencing in work or as, you know, school vacations come up. Um, but we've had quite a lot to talk about. Yeah, it was a big week uh, with within the like American legal system. And so the readers little or listeners, I guess a little uh, background here. Uh, Ricky texted me last Friday night. So Friday, Friday, the 19th, maybe it was like, when can you record this weekend? And uh, obviously that was the day, the, the evening that the Rittenhouse for, uh, verdict had come down. So R- Ricky was raring and ready to go. <laughs> when can you record this this weekend? And normally that's me who, who's firing off those texts, like with like things in the news that I'm firing up and passionate about. I'm like, we need to record right away. Let's get our reactions in. And I, so I responded to Ricky, I was like, I thought you were in favor of like letting it marinate and like, let's, let's moderate ourselves a little bit. Uh, and then 
I guess to Ricky's credit, but really not because then we had scheduled to record on Wednesday and then twice yesterday, and we're finally recording today. He's a he's a he's a busy guy over there, but we're finally recording. To your original point, a lot has happened not only uh, with the Rittenhouse verdict, but we got the Arbery verdict. Uh, we got the the tragedy in um, Wisconsin with the Christmas parade that we're going to talk about, and then we're going to talk about some just kind of uh, other like individual cases that have been in the news in the justice system over the past well, you know week or so and then you know see if we can kind of tie them together in any way if there's a way to tie them together is there like a theme that emerges from all of these things that have been in the news over the past week with our criminal justice system yeah i mean to your your credit um reminding me of sort of my own philosophy when it comes to this stuff of not just going straight for the hot takes um which, you know, there were a lot of, and because I had a couple extra days to, to sort of sift through it. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely important because it's very hard to sort of come up with your own analysis of the situation when like the hot takes is what everyone's retweeting and sharing on Instagram. And it's, and certainly there are, you know, very justifiable reactions to a- any of these sort of news stories that I think we're going to touch on today. Um, but I think what we try to do here is, is go a little bit beyond uh, surface level what, what sort of the main left and right camps are uh, promoting as like the main story and, and trying to get into a little bit of the nuance, which I think is important. Right. And not to like pat ourselves on the back, but we've said this like offline to each other where like, even if no one was listening to this, we would still want to do this because it's good for us. And uh, I think it's good for us in the sense of like really trying to be informed about things because obviously like we, we knew the written house verdict was coming down. You and I had paid attention to the trial. We'll talk about this in depth, but then like you, you get the notifications on your phone. And again, you have immediately like got visceral reactions to it. And those will kind of range across the spectrum. And, and then like, you have to process that, or I, in my opinion, you should process that. And then you go and read things. And we all have a tendency to read outlets and, and media news sources that are kind of like reaffirm our own view, but then you have to push, try to read the other side and like the outrage that the other side has, whether, you know, in victory or defeat or whatever. And so I, I do think like, kind of like in a front on like a meta philosophical level it's it's really challenging to come up with like your own opinion on things because you have like like I said your immediate gut reaction which is like just purely kind of you but then like I would encourage everyone I encourage myself to like go and read all these other sources and then you have to kind of take those sources and and fix them like kind of put them all together and take from them like a little bit a bit of this and a little bit of that and kind of check yourself to find out like all right like am I, do I have like a truly informed opinion about this subject? That's one, my own, I'm not parroting some talking point on, on the right or the left or whatever, but also that it's an informed opinion that I've gotten enough sources from, from varying sides and varying perspectives that I feel like pretty confident in like my take on this particular subject. It's it's work. It's like a lot of work. (laughs) It is. It is. uh, It, it takes time. Um, and the, and the problem is, too, a lot of our news sources that we sort of rely on, obviously, we know sort of subconsciously which ones have the slant in the way that we sort of like to read things. But it's sometimes harder when they don't 
you know, they're, they don't say anything that's outwardly incorrect, but there are a lot of, um, what is it like, uh, the thing by omission it's, um, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But like kind of like the implicit biases or the undertones or the dog whistles or like, however you kind of like want to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and just the omission of like facts that run counter to the narrative that I'm trying to sort of weave together. And I think that's like, I think it's very human nature to try and understand things in sort of a linear, like this happened so that, and then this happens and we understand, you know, X follows because of, because of that. And that sometimes things just sort of unfold the way they do. And there is no, like, it's not that cut and dry that we can say, well, you know, he came from here and he is a white supremacist and therefore XYZ happens. And we all knew that this was going to happen. And in fact, like the truth of the matter is a little bit more muddy. And sometimes there are facts that kind of run counter to the narrative, but they're important to highlight as well. Um, but in, in the vein of uh, some, <laughs> some controversial things, have you heard the awful news? Printers can now print guns. Oh, Ricky, what's the big deal? I've had a Canon printer for years. And speaking of Canons, the guys over at Canon Hill Woodworking would like to remind you that they've been building handcrafted high-end custom tables and desks in Boston since 2018. That's Canon with two N's. You can check them out on Instagram. You can visit them online at www.cannonhillwood.com. Uh, as always, like now we said, we're in holiday season. It's kind of big. We've now transitioned into the, the gift giving season. It feels like after Thanksgiving, if that's something you're interested in, reach out, reach out to those guys over at Cannon Hill and, and let them know that we sent you. That's right. Nothing needs to be shipped because they're making it all here. True. You'll, you'll get it on time. Or Small Business Saturday is today. Buy local. Indeed. What do we do? Tell me where we're gonna go. Somebody breaks into my house. I'm gonna need my gold party All right, so since I was uh, chomping at the bit here to, to get started, I think we'll introduce kind of our first topic of this um, this episode, which is the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict um not guilty on all uh on all i think there were five counts against him and so he was not guilty across the board um yeah i i definitely had obviously a a a strong reaction an initial reaction i think and that maybe tweaked a little bit um as i started to you know I, i i i won't say that I had really followed kind of the facts of the case and what the jury was specifically deliberating on and uh, kind of the laws in Wisconsin also, I think, which were sort of very important in this, um, in this situation. But I am curious, uh, what was your take or immediate reaction to the verdict? So I was having lunch with uh, one of my friends, yesterday and he was saying that he listens and he was like you guys you guys are always dis- you guys are always agreeing you, know, you call it gentleman's disagreement but you seem to agree on everything and I was like well uh I think you should listen to this upcoming episode because I think we're going to disagree on a few things and if anybody has been listening to a, to us for a long time I think the really the second or third episode we ever did focused on 
Kyle, the Kyle Rittenhouse situation because it, it happened, you know, just over a year ago, last September, and that was probably one of, if not our most contentious episode. Uh, my first reaction to hearing the verdict was, I I was happy. Uh, I I thought that, you know, I was I was I, I'll admit that I was a little surprised that he was not guilty on all counts. Um, I think I said this a year ago that I did not believe he was ever guilty uh, or was ever going to be found guilty of like intentional homicide. Um, I think the self-defense case was really strong and certainly proved to be so. And to me, yeah, like, like it, it felt like a, a victory for, for second amendment rights and for self-defense and for all of the, you know, the media who had like, you know, really like lynched this kid in, in the meat, in the news media um, for, if it felt like, you know, that he was he was justified in a lot of ways and that to me justice had been done and yeah i was really happy for him yeah so i mean i i don't feel badly for him at all at the end of the day he killed two people and shot a third person um i think i well (laughs) i think i probably agree with you on the case of self-defense was pretty strong insofar as it follows the laws in the state of Wisconsin, which is an open carry state. And basically all the defense had to prove is that he had a reasonable, like he was reasonably justified in believing that this, these people could, could uh, do him harm. And so he had a right to quote unquote, defend himself. Now, I think everybody knows that they're, uh, there's a, a broad spectrum of things you can do in self-defense, but in the state of Wisconsin, if you have a gun, you're able to shoot somebody, right? So that that is legally, I think, um, I think, I think we think about our justice system as kind of a, a, a pinnacle of the American way, in that like we preserve fairness because our justice system sort of follows the law, the laws as they are written, meaning that we don't have, even if you don't like something in the law, you can't have like this, like editorialization and you can't have verdicts based on what you like and don't like. It has to be consistent with what is basically on paper. Um, And I think for that, from that perspective, you can sort of understand the verdict and not be overwhelmed by it from a negative context. Now, the secondary reaction, though, is this is like this is a horrible thing that it says about what is legal and what is not legal in this country, right? Like when we heard about the facts of the case initially, this kid, yes, he didn't drive far, but he drove across state lines with a gun that he shouldn't, he's not legally able to possess or buy, but he possessed it. Um, go ahead. He was given that gun. He didn't, he didn't take it across state lines. He was given the gun when he arrived. Oh, that's right. Gun. That's right. Which is why he was able to avoid one of those counts. I think yeah. uh, it's an AR 15 style assault rifle, uh, assault, not a self-defense rifle, not any gun has. Self-defense. But it, it's, it's legal true. to carry those weapons in Wisconsin. Sure. Again, what, I, what I'm, I think what I think is the problem is that it, that all these things are legal, right? You have this notion of self-defense that, that anybody who 
sort of feels that their life is in danger. And certainly, you know, with the videos and him on stand as a 17, you know, newly 18 year old kid crying his eyes out, like you could tell he was scared, like no doubt. Um, but the problem is like, why is that okay for him to be there and be scared and have a gun and shoot somebody? Um, what does that, and I think, I think it, it took me a long way to get there, but what does that imply about the kind of America that we want, right? Because do you, do you want to see at, at future protests, like hundreds of Kyle Rittenhouses with AR style rifles walking up and down the streets? Like, is that your, you know what I mean? Like who's, who's the more radical country that you want to live in? Because that is implicitly what we are saying is okay by this verdict, right? And certainly, you know, you can look at those instances that was he justified, was he not? But, you know, he was the only person who shot somebody that day. Um, and, you know, all of the danger that he faced came from him saying that guys who are unarmed were going to take my gun from me and shoot me with it, right? So again, the gun is now the main source of the danger in, in this entire situation, so what are we, what are, what are we advocating for? What are we celebrating in this victory? And I think it, it's, it's one of those things, like it depends on where you start the story. If you start the story in the instance where, uh, uh, I forget his first name, Rosenbaum is like lunging at this guy. And then you, you know, you add in the fact that he had bipolar disorder, wasn't able to get his medication that day, um, okay, you know, you can see, and, and I have a gun that's, and, and I'm worried about him taking my gun from me and shooting me with it. All right, fair enough. But if you, if we back it up a bit and we never would have been in this situation, had you not been there, had you not been there with a gun, then shouldn't you bear some responsibility or shouldn't we have a system that holds you accountable for some of this um, being part of your own doing? And I think, We'll get into that a little bit in the Arbery case because it's it's similar in many ways. Um, obviously, different different in many ways in the outcome, but there is a lot to kind of tease out there. Sure, I I would back the story up even farther. I, I think that the story begins with uh, violent riots and like when you say that people are showing up to protest with guns everywhere, like. The reason that people felt like they needed to bring guns to these situations is because uh, there was just like fairly widespread like arson and in destruction of businesses and looting and like there's certainly enough like viral videos that we talked about from last summer of business owners trying to defend their shops and like there was that old man who was beaten with like the fire extinguisher trying to like defend his shops there are plenty of people small business owners of all races that were out there like crying as like their you know life's businesses were being destroyed and the police at this point were totally neutered like they couldn't do anything and people were crying out for help like Rittenhouse didn't show up there just like really kind of out of nowhere on his own like people were asking him and others like him to come in to help defend their property and again we've talked about we've we argued about this a year ago that maybe you don't think that we should be you know bringing guns to defend property you know with that said, like I was, I was getting a haircut just last week and the, the hairdresser was asking me about it. And she was like, quite honestly, if that was happening in my neighborhood, I'd want my son out there with a gun trying to protect my property. And again, like you could make the case written house. It's not, you know, his, his mother out there, it's not anything to do with him. But uh, as I said last year, like we do kind of depend on 
we have depended on people for a long time in this country to kind of like, you know, to defend each other in, in times where like, we feel like that was necessary. So um, if, if like, this was to me, like, if we're going to back the story up, like that's where we're backing it up to is that he was out there because of everything that was happening. And then, then from there, then like each of those confrontations, we can go through where like people were the aggressors in those situations and he defends himself. And so to me, like, is this a society I want to live in? Not necessarily, but like, it starts with, if we're going to back the story up, it starts with these protesters, like destroying businesses. But, but that's not how our like system operates, right? Like you hear anytime there's a mass shooting, conservatives come out and say, there's nothing that you can do about these mass shootings, right? People are going to do what they're going to do. And our legal system basically works on the fact that like, if you commit a crime, we hold you accountable, but we are living a free society. So you are free to walk outside with a brick in your hand and throw it through somebody's window, right? Like that's literally how our society functions. It's not a prevention of crime. It is a crime and then punishment and the punishment plus, you know, people's good sense and the fact that like it doesn't generally benefit you to do bad things to other people you know, keeps everything going. We don't live in a, in a, in a society that's basically says, no, like I will prevent you from doing this. I'm going to shoot you before you do it. Right. And so because of that one, I mean, there's no property crime that is punishable by death. So why do we think that it makes sense for people to defend property with the threat of like killing somebody? And again, I, th- I mean, I think we'll, we'll come to this as well, that there is no, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Like, I'm not saying that he'd had no right to be there. I'm not even necessarily saying that he doesn't have a right to have a, a, a weapon on him. Like, you know, one of the people that he shot had a Glock pistol on him. I, th- I think there is something to say that, you know, that the whole situation, it's sad to say it was probably lucky that only two people died, right? That's a, Uh, you know, has a large magazine. It's very easy to fire off multiple rounds. There were tons of people around. Luckily he didn't, you know, nobody else accidentally got shot. Um, And then I guess maybe if we shift gears a little bit, I I think it is probably important to talk about this notion of self-defense because a lot of it, especially the, the, the third count against, um, of like, I think it was attempted murder against the gentleman who did have the pistol, gross, gross or something. And the defense basically said he didn't shoot you until like your pistol was pointed at him. And his argument was I had initially raised my hands. I heard him rechambering his gun. And so really it just becomes a case of like who shot who first had he shot Rittenhouse and killed him he probably would have gotten off additionally on self-defense. So now we have a situation where we don't have like two quote unquote criminals. It's, you know, people who are breaking the law, but the answer that the law provides us is like, whoever's alive at the end of the day can say self-defense. And then that's it. Is that also, does that also make sense? You know, our, traditional notion of self-defense is like if you're in your house and somebody breaks in you know whatever the castle doctrines that some states have like this is your 
this is your house. You, you have all the rights within that, within that space, but in an open area, now it's just, you know, do I feel threatened? How do I, how do I feel in this situation? And of course, if the other person on the other side is dead, they can't explain, well, I was trying to disarm him because I heard that he had shot somebody two minutes ago. Um, and I was, yeah, right. Like his, the, the second guy who died, his parents described him as the hero of this, of the situation. He was trying to disarm an active shooter. Right. So it's, again, it, it feels like our legal situation, especially in these red states that have done a lot to make it more difficult to restrict gun usage and access and where you can bring these weapons has made the, like the intuitive understanding of what is self-defense and what do you, what are you required to do as a person difficult to understand? And I worry about what that implies. Like, I don't think everyone's going to run out there and get a gun now. I like, I, I don't see that happening, but like, it feels like we could be trending in a direction where that is, you know, you, as long as you're the one who does the killing first, you could be on the right side of the law on this. And that doesn't feel like it should be right. Yeah, I think in the sense of like both things can be true here is that I don't really have a problem with anything that you said legally. Like none, like I think you described all of like the legal requirements for self-defense in the state like Wisconsin very well. And it doesn't bother me. Um, at the same time, I do worry about people who feel like newly empowered by the Rittenhouse verdict to feel like, hey, I have the ability to you know, get away with something and then claim self-defense. And now I can rely on this legal precedent to do that because I think that's a, a scary and dangerous thing. And I agree with you that I don't believe that a bunch of people are going to go out there and start buying guns, but I do believe that people that already are at these protests with guns now might feel a little more uh, willing to engage w- because they feel like they have, have legal cover that, they maybe didn't necessarily know that they had before. And that concerns me. I think we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this probably when, it, when the verdict comes down, but you probably know that there's a Supreme Court case this, this term with the New York uh, Rifle Association and whether or not you can open, openly carry outside the home in New York. And I think that's going to be fascinating because I, who knows how it's going to go, but it wouldn't shock me if they ruled like the law restricting open carry in New York to be unconstitutional. And then that starts to open up really across every state at that point, the ability to, to carry outside the home, um, which would, would definitely expand second amendment rights. Um, and, and yeah, I think it's fair for you to like kind of sit back and say, is that the society that we want? And I'm not totally sure that I want like a proliferation of guns and people openly carrying guns in the streets. Like, I don't necessarily think that's great. I also really do believe that like constitutionally it's mostly okay. And so like, not that I think this is realistic, but if if enough people are against that, we know that we're going to have to fix that with like a constitutional amendment. Yeah. Which, yeah. I know it's not going to happen. So I guess like my, if I had to conclude here and to say that like, Hey, I don't disagree with you that some of this stuff, like kind of precedent wise and where it could potentially lead is a little scary to me. Uh, But also to say that I don't believe that anything is like wrong legally constitutionally with where this stuff is, is, has been decided and where it might be headed. 
Yeah. And I, I think that that is, um, I think a little bit where I wanted to go with this in that I have, I was having a little bit of a crisis of faith, if you will, that are, I, I think when I think about some of the things that I have been most proud about America for, a lot of it had to do with our, how I saw the justice system today, how I saw sort of legal constructs today in terms of like preserving, right? We've talked about this in the past that like, it isn't necessarily that we need to see equal outcomes. It's that like everybody knows the rules and that the rules are enforceable and enforced equally. Now, obviously we have a long history of not equally enforcing those rules. And I think we'll see that 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 history is, is not as distant in the past as maybe I grew up believing um, that it persists today. And I think that on top of that, we have a lot of historical constructs that no longer fit sort of the modern society. Or we like we have had in Wisconsin, you know, the, the original self-defense kind of doctrines that were enshrined sort of didn't envision necessarily people walking around the streets with guns, certainly not with military style assault rifles. And so now we have self-defense, we've added open carry and we're all of a sudden in a situation where, right? Like the laws do provide those incentives for people for how, you know, we expect people to behave in society. And of, of course, you know, no one's a criminal until they commit a crime, but like, would I feel safer if I walk into a bar and see a bunch of people with pistols in their back pockets or, you know, in the, I, I, I would not, <laughs> I know that for a fact, I would not, I'd be very scared. <laughs> That's totally fair. I don't disagree with you, but you also know that for many people in this country, that is currently like normal and two that they would feel say that like they feel absolutely more safe because of things like that. And again, we can cherry pick examples, but like whenever there is like a shooting, like there was a shooting in like a terrible shooting at a church in Texas a few years back. And like, because there were a couple of people that were armed in church, like they were able to like minimize casualties. And so like that, that's certainly the argument that you would hear from a large portion of the country of like, yeah, I actually feel like more guns would make people safe. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if I think about the Rittenhouse case in particular with all the chaos that was going on, if there were a lot more guns on both sides, I think that could have been an absolute disaster. Um, but fair. I think we'll leave that there for a minute um, and pick up the Ahmad Arbery verdict, um, which I think is, uh, is sort of the, the second side of the coin is if the rules aren't kind of enforced across the board, how, how then do we understand you know, how to function in this society and what, and what is like American justice in its sort of in the totality of, of, of how we understand the system. Um, so obviously the Ahmad Arbery verdict uh, went the other way. The, the, the three gentlemen in Georgia were found guilty um, of, I think, first degree murder and menacing. I actually don't, recall the charges exactly. Um, but for those, 
who don't recall kind of the specifics of the case, um, Ahmad Arbery was running through a neighborhood in, um, in Georgia. Uh, there had been some reports of like break-ins and these three guys decided that they were going to go vigilante on this and, and chase him, chase him down. So they chased him down by a vehicle. There was eventually a struggle over a shotgun. Um, he was shot in the chest, um, and died on the scene. And initially, uh, there were no charges brought against any of these men. So um, they, they, people were very willing to swipe this, sweep this thing under the rug. Unfortunately for them, one of their friends or one of the other guys who was uh, also indicted for murder charges and, and convicted um, decided he wanted to film the whole thing. Um, and when those films got released, obviously it triggered an additional round of protests many months later. Um, and eventually, uh, charges were brought against these three guys. So another verdict, um, another contentious case, all, all kind of stemming from, or not stemming from, but, uh, that, that really came to, to prominence and came to national news coverage, um, following George Floyd last year. Uh, how did, how did you react to this verdict? <clears throat> Also thrilled. Um, again, this, this seemed to me a case where justice was done uh, far too late, but certainly and we'll talk about this later for a couple of things too, better late than never. And uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like you mentioned that one of, one of this, the, the accomplices here released the video and he released it to try to be like, almost to say that this wasn't the modern day lynching that people were starting to say that it was like, he thought this video was going to like exonerate him. And if anyone has watched this, terrible video it's 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 clearly just a you know a murder uh, in, in the streets uh it's in it, just a really awful situation and um you know of course like you said that some, a lot of this racial stuff is not only not in our recent past but still very much exists in our present and when people think of a state like georgia which is you know traditionally like a deep south state where in the past maybe in the not so distant past in the present where uh, white men have been able to get away with killing black men for far too long. There was a worry that these these men would would walk, and quite honestly, I mean, they did for a year and a half. Like they 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 did walk, and there's a lot of problems with that that I'd love to get into for a minute. But uh, I'm very pleased. It feels again like justice was done, and while the justice was delayed, uh, these men are murderers and, and deserve all the punishment that 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 are going to be sentenced to. So I, I was again pleased with the verdict and this was another for me like hey the jury system is working here in the united states they were out with their guns protecting property brandon yeah i mean that's i mean it's it's you know it's a false equivalency to to, to equate what amari arbery didn't do and what people in in wisconsin were doing yeah i mean they have obviously they had some more information on um at least the the first guy who died in the, in the Rittenhouse case that he was like tipping over toilets and letting them on fire. Um, but I don't know that Kyle Rittenhouse knew that at, at the time. Well, Whitney Rittenhouse didn't go and gun that guy down because he was tipping over toilets. Fair. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about the, the case in general. Um, because again, I think like a, point in time thing if you had literally just shown somebody the 30 second clip of uh 
you know, there were some punches thrown, a little bit of a struggle over a gun, and then Ahmad Arbery gets shot, you know, without sort of the backstory of like what these guys were doing, how they kind of chased him down um, in the car, uh, without all that additional information, this seems like it would fall again under self-defense. I had a gun. Uh, this guy was, you know, punching me. I was in imminent danger. So I shot. So, all right. So I guess my point is potentially that like the, the law, I mean, obviously the law has to consider the circumstances and the, and the motivations, but juries also get very specific instructions on, you know, what they're allowed to consider, you know, what, what is the time frame? who these people are, right? Like what, uh, what about their backgrounds we're allowed to know in this case, in the Ahmad Arbery trial, the prosecutor actually very specifically didn't mention race, like hardly at all. Um, the, the, the jury, which is like absolutely wild that this could happen in 2021, um, in a, in a county that's 50% black, the jury was 11 white jurors and one black juror, right? So the, the cards felt like ostensibly they were stacked against the prosecution. Um, in this case, uh, there were definitely differences between the judge that was presiding in the Ahmad Arbery trial and the judge that was presiding in Wisconsin over Rittenhouse. Um, how do you feel about like, you know, when we think about sort of the, the, the idealism that we put on the American justice system, that it shouldn't matter who the judge is in reality, it shouldn't matter too much who the prosecutor and the defense is. But I think, I think potentially you see in the outcome of the cases, maybe justice was done or, or maybe a lot of it has to do with how just the court proceedings uh, unfolded. Yeah, I guess I'll kind of go back to what I said before is that it it felt like to me in both cases, justice was done. And that the, while we have these big ideals of, of what the American, you know, to a trial by your peers and you have the right to be heard in court and right not to, to testify if you so choose or right not to incriminate yourself, like all of these like kind of the big overarching ideals, but we know that in practice that it's all very individualized. It happens, like you mentioned, hundreds, thousands of times every day in, in hundreds and thousands of different courtrooms with different prosecutors, defense attorneys, and, uh, and judges. And there's there's systemic inequalities that we know exist within that justice system. And while we can continue to try to work to fix those, like that's also just kind of like the nature of things. We know it's not going to be perfectly equivalent across i mean it's it, that's like just humanly impossible right and so uh to me like when we're kind of marrying those ideals with like individual situations this is two situations that i felt like were very different in that the 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 juries heard all of the you know facts and circumstances of the case and came in my opinion to the right decision in both cases so again like to me this was like a reaffirming week in these two cases of like justice was done and like it, with the american ideal of you know this everyone has a has the right to be heard and to to have this this you know their peers you know decide on their guilt or innocence and uh yeah this this felt like a a, a validation of those ideals for me do you recall the uh george zimmerman trayvon martin case yeah when i when i saw 
what happened to Maude Arbery, that's the case that I immediately thought of. Uh, mm-hmm. Sort of like a neighborhood watch guy deciding that here, here's somebody who doesn't look like he belongs. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go like try and, uh, call, you know, stop him or whatever. Um, that case ended up going the other direction. Mm-hmm. So when you heard the verdicts that you heard in, or the verdict in Georgia, were you surprised at all? Relieved, I think was, was, would be the word I would describe because like, I like really hopeful. I mean, it seemed to me from everything I'd seen, everything I've read that this was a pretty clear convincing case of, of intentional homicide. And so, but like I said, there was always the thought in the back of your mind that it could go the other way. And given history, like you say, recent and not so recent, like th- there's that worry. So it was kind of like, like you could exhale and think like, good, justice was done here. And I think to the, the Zimmerman cases, I think most people would agree that justice wasn't done in that case. And that's just to say that, like, unfortunately, we know that the criminal justice system is not going to get it right 100% of the time. Like, that's the system that we have. It's a very, as you mentioned, like human system. And because it's so human, there's lots of like natural flaws that exist within the system. And, uh, you know, I, I think we can acknowledge that it doesn't get it done 100% of the time, not even close to 100% of the time, but also be happy and celebrate that generally, I think it gets it right more often than it doesn't. I think that that is what I had always believed. And I think the events of the last, and not necessarily these cases, but um, that, that I'm, that I'm not entirely so sure that it does get it right um, as often as we would like. Um, I think there you know, there are a lot of cases in which stuff like this wouldn't go to trial. I haven't seen a high profile case of a black defendant being able to use self-defense as a legal strategy um, in the same way that we have sort of, you know, white, white men being able to use it. I also wonder too, like, if you look at the two defendants from across the cases, you know, one is kind of a, a doughy baby faced boy who of, of 18 years old. <laughs> I mean, the guys in Georgia were not doing themselves any favors in their mug shots. Like they looked like they could have been part of the clan, <laughs> you know, in the not so recent uh, past. And it, I, I wonder, yes, I think you can certainly look at the cases and say, all right, well, the outcomes speak for themselves. There's no need to dive into it more deeply but yeah i don't i don't i don't know if i if i buy that like the outcomes are the way they were particularly because our jury system is so good at coming up with the right answer um, or the right answer coming up with kind of the truth and how it follows with the law um as it is with kind of deciding who you know who are defendants who are we okay with sending to prison and who are we not um, in that in, in that vein? And I think Kyle Rittenhouse ended up. Look, I mean, certainly there are a lot of differences between the two cases, but one of the one of the sort of the the visceral differences, the one that you can sort of see on the outside, is just who the defendants were um, and where. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I think that that piece of it. Um, bothers me. And maybe that's a good place to take 
to take it to take a little break here. And when we come back, there are some other um, trials, uh, sentencing, and, and sort of some older cases um, that have recently come to sort of a new resolution um, that I wanted to talk about. How long shall they kill our prophets while we stand aside and look? Some say it's just a part of it. We've got to fulfill the book. Won't you help to sing? These songs of freedom. All right. So along that sort of vein in terms of who this justice system kind of works for, I wanted to bring up a few kind of high profile um, cases that recently resulted in sort of older verdicts being overturned. Um, I think a a prominent one, uh, two men who had been convicted of assassinating Malcolm X uh, were recently exonerated. Basically it it came out that uh, the FBI had led in kind of a coordinated framing um, of these two men and um, and it took they they had been both of them had been paroled after 20 years. I said I say that as if that's a good thing. Um, one of them passed away. They're both in their or they were in their 80s. Um, one of them passed away, obviously, before this could happen about 12 years ago. And one at, at the age of 83 said, like, I don't need the courts to tell me what I've known. Uh, what I've always known. Um, so that was a big case. And and, and another similar uh, sort of historical correction of the record, um, a case about four men in Florida who had been accused, uh, four black men in Florida who had been accused of raping um, a white woman in 1949 had uh, had been uh, all convicted. Two of them were shot by law enforcement, uh, allegedly attempting to flee, although that story doesn't really track. Again, um, another case where where basically these people had been put in, in prison falsely by uh, prosecutors and sheriffs um, and the sort of the broader legal system only to find out sort of decades later, or only to sort of for it to come to light decades later that, that they were not either involved or uh, that, you know, their, their guilt was completely unfounded. Um, these cases are, are, I think some of them for me are like the hardest ones to come to grips with. Like that, just the idea of somebody being in prison for, for a crime they didn't commit for decades is such a like it's it's gut-wrenching just to think about what they would be going through um you know there's something you know you can kind of understand a punishment as an individual you can understand being punished when you have done something wrong there's like a gotta be a broad existential crisis to understand uh or to try and come to terms with how you ended up somewhere when when you were not you know, when you didn't do anything wrong. Um, and I think for me, how I would think about these cases and what 
or, or and how I think it relates to what we're seeing today um, in terms of the discussions around systemic racism are that, you know, in many ways, although we know that we've had sort of bad laws and laws that needed to be changed, by and large, the legal system is something that we point to to say that like on the books, everybody, you know, the legal, the justice system is blind, right? We see the, the statue with the blindfold um, uh, over it outside of, outside of courtrooms, right? The blind, blind scales of justice. No, I don't know what that is, uh, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, but historically and even persisting today, we understand that one, I mean, these are egregious cases, but to think that these are all only the exceptions or there are not, um, that, that any case that doesn't kind of actually live up to our standards of the law is egregious to some degree, and that we probably have a lot more of that than we would like to admit. And it is, you know, part of the American system that we can say that, like, look, everybody is treated equal. It's how we put ourselves above other places where they have laws that it's, you know, illegal to, uh, for a woman to drive or to be gay, or, um, you know, you can be persecuted for your religion, right? Like we, we don't have any of those things on the books and yet are over time. I mean, we don't largely anymore have any of those things on the books. And yet over the course of history, you can see by the unequal application of law that we have still sort of been able to maintain. And of course, it, it's, it's difficult to understand like how pervasive it really is because, you know, the, many of these cases have been settled, but we have to a degree been able to, to do some of those things without it being overtly stated as like a goal. Um, and I think that that's troubling. I don't know. I don't know what the word is. Yeah, that's probably not strong enough. Uh, I guess like the optimist in me would say like the justice done late is better than justice never done. And that the two cases you brought up were from 1949 and 1965 and that those are relics of a darker history in the United States in general and the legal system in particular. And uh, I think to some extent that's probably true, uh, but it would be naive of me not to, to acknowledge that like some of those things still exist in like our justice system today. And you mentioned one of the men that was exonerated in the Malcolm X killing and he got up in front of the court and says like, this is a product of a system that's corrupt to its core because like, as it came out, as you mentioned quite well, that this was a coordinated effort by police um, at the local and, and federal levels to suppress sorts of evidence to that would have exonerated these men for years. And it does remind me of like what we saw in the Arbery case, which as I said, I'm glad that these men were convicted, but the fact that it took a year and a half to do that is troubling. And then you start to dig into it a little bit more and you know that one of the murderers was a former police officer and a former uh, investigator for the district attorney's office. And then you see how like the district attorney like kind of recused herself, but like sent, sent the case over to one of her friends, like kind of like wink, wink, nod, nod. And how until that video actually came out, 
that there would there was there was no justice for Ahmad Arbery. And so like those kind of things where I can sit back and celebrate that justice was done, but also realize that like there was pretty serious obstruction that was happening within like that area of Georgia, whether it was you know, within the police departments or within the district attorneys and the justice system, like, and those people, in my opinion, should be prosecuted as well. Uh, like they're, they're, they're guilty here too. Um, but I think while it may not be as egregious or even as blatant as it was 50 years ago, 70 years ago, it, it would be, like I said, very naive of me not to think that those, those things exist today. And uh you know, the other case that you had sent me over was um, this kid, Christopher Belter, um, just 20 year old white kid in, in Maine that was found. He was he was not sentenced to prison. He was he had kind of like a, I don't know, like a plea deal is what you'd say, where he had admitted to um, sexually assaulting four four women, the young women on uh, young girls, really, on separate occasions. And the the judge presiding over the case said that he didn't feel like prison would be appropriate and gave him eight years probation, but no actual time in prison. And so, well, again, I want to emphasize that I think Kyle Rittenhouse would have, was not guilty, period. I do think it was right of you to point out when you have a 17, 18 year old white kid who's crying on the stand, like we look at that kid as a child. And I think that the judge in the Belter case looks at this 20 year old white kid, just like we saw with like Brock Turner, who was the the, um, you know, sexual, who sexually assaulted a woman out in California, who was, who was an 18 year old kid at Stanford and the judge didn't sentence him to any time in prison. So I, I do think there's, whether it's implicit or really explicit biases where you see these young white men that commit these crimes and there's more leniency, there's more sympathy for these type of kids, as opposed to when we see young black men commit these crimes. And I think when you mentioned before, like there's yet to be a case and hopefully, not hopefully, but like, you know, you hope that like down the line that this will be applied equally to white and black people. But I think that the way we view 17, 18, 19, 20 year old black men in this society is very different than how we view young white men. And like, we see that in all of these cases. And so for people to look at the Rittenhouse case and be like, I know that a 17 year old black man wouldn't have been able to do what he did and get away with it. I think while that's disappointing, I think that's fair. And so I don't know, I, I, I hope I think that I'm being consistent to say that I do continue to like have faith in our justice system and do think it continues to get things right more often than not, but also acknowledging that like clearly there are still some huge issues in it that like have to be first acknowledged and then hopefully addressed. Yeah, I I think that's I think that's spot on. I mean, the problem is is that we'll never be able to sort of fit text on a page that adequately addresses every situation such that you can just look at the text and interpret, you know, interpret exactly what the verdict should be based on what the law says, that there has to be some element of discretion. The problem, of course, is when that discretion goes to uh, certain types of people, and we know sort of who's more likely to be selected for juries, who's more likely to be sitting on a bench, um, that oftentimes, as, as you mentioned, kind of the who is deserving of a second chance in society, who is, uh, who is sort of allowed to claim self-defense, who can be afraid in these situations, um, and just this unequal application, or, you know, because we have this ability for discretion in that right, this judge was given, I, I, I think the maximum prison sentence through the plea deal was still not that because he pr- pled to like a lesser degree of assault uh, or 
in, instead of like first degree rape. <clears throat> but even then, that there was a spectrum of probation to prison um, and who sort of, who kind of benefits from these situations and, and, and who does not. Uh, this is definitely, it is definitely going to be a problem for us to solve. And I think one of the, one of the benefits of living in the sort of social media age is that, like you said, with the Ahmaud Arbery case, they couldn't just shove it into a dark hole and pretend that it, you know, we'll just wipe our hands of this. The kid's dead and nobody will know. Um, It hit national prominence. There were protests everywhere and then action was taken. And so, you know, the, the flip side of, um, a lot of, and I think something similar happened in the George Floyd case. Like I'm not entirely sure that they, before sort of the body cam footage and the cell phone videos came out, were they going to do anything about that? Um, and so when we, when we think about sort of the necessity of what we saw, and I'm not talking about the burning and looting, but people coming out to demonstrate um, what is a persistent uh sort of a persistent situation of, of, of inequality and of, um, yeah, of, of, of racial bias and and systemic racism that like people had to get out into the streets to do something about it because these cases had, were, you know, continuing to be swept under the rug. Um, and I think, and I think that that is part of like the, the problem is that we you know, and I was sort of alluding to this before, we live in a, in a society that, that because it is free, people are free to commit these crimes. But what gives it, what lets everybody sleep at night is that when people commit these crimes, they will be held accountable. And for years, we've seen police officers not being held accountable. Finally, we've had one or two. We've seen uh, situations like the George Zimmerman, where clearly as the aggressor, somehow they were able to com- uh claim and and be found not guilty by virtue of self-defense. And now we're finally starting to see that pendulum swing, but it's not happening organically. It is because, I mean, I suppose you'd call that organic, but it is like uh, the demonstrations are, I think, in large part responsible for this new sort of lens in which we're seeing these actions. And there's just more societal awareness for many of the reasons, whether it's social media or like the actual protests that you're saying. I guess like my kind of takeaway as you were speaking is that like the march towards progress, in my opinion, is not linear. It's 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 up and down and two steps forward and three steps back and two steps forward and one step back. And it like the continued like march towards like more a more just and more equal society is, is not one that's going to be achieved overnight. And so that's why we can point to all of these cases that are happening simultaneously and kind of be happy about some and still be disgusted by others. And I think in that sense, the last case that I wanted to bring up was the tragedy that happened in Waukesha, um, Waukesha, Waukesha, Wisconsin, uh, which again, like Wisconsin having a, having a tough year over there. Uh, where the man Daryl Brooks um, is stands accused of you know, killing, murdering at least six people and injuring close to 40 more at a Christmas day, uh, Christmas parade where he ran his vehicle through the crowd. And then of course it's come out that this man has two open cases against him, both for violence. The previous one was actually assaulting a woman with, with his car and he was released on a thousand dollars cash bail. And 
it just was like a really this the cap to a kind of a crazy week with the legal system and to go back to your earlier point with everyone the pundits on both sides like pointing to this example and that example of justice not done and and uh and this feels like to me another example where like it, so it's it's a tragedy right and anytime you hear a situation like this that seems so preventable that the district attorney admits that like the cash bail was far too low and like someone like this like the point of having like cash bail or holding people like incarceration is to prevent people that are dangerous from being out in the streets and hurting other people. And there has been a push in recent years to eliminate things like cash bail because uh, it's often applied unequally that people who are poorer and often minorities are not able to afford bail uh, at the same rates that obviously like richer and, and whiter people are able to. And that's true. Uh, and so what happens is you have people stuck in jail awaiting trial for crazy long periods of time because they can't afford the bail. And th- there's definitely a problem with that situation, right? But there there can be both a problem with that situation, like an overall systemic issue with cash bail and how it's applied, but also a realization that like that bail and incarceration for even like pretrial is often necessary. And in a case like this, if it was a applied and used correctly could have prevented this this terrible tragedy and so i guess for me i have no like specific takeaway but as someone that's interested in continuing to improve our criminal justice system and make it more fair things like cash bail are something that i think do need to be reformed and i i I hate if someone that's like really in favor of freedom i hate the idea of keeping people for extended periods in prison before they've been convicted of anything in jails and in prison before they've been had had their right to a fair trial that like really bothers me too at my core. So like, I'm generally in favor of like letting people kind of back out with that said, like there are caveats in situations where you need to have people in jail. And so it's, it's <laughs> like so many of these things, it's just not black and white. And I, I guess, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that particular situation. Yeah. I mean, an, uh, an absolute tragedy. And, and as you're saying, it's been, it has not been an easy year. Um, for, for Wisconsin, a state that is very near and dear to my heart. Um, the, yeah, I mean, it, the, you know, the prosecutors came out and said that this was, this doesn't make any, I like, they didn't understand really why the bail, why they had recommended that the bail be set so low. Um, it, it's not, it was not sort of like a new requirement. Um, and, yeah, it's it it's terrible. There is, you know, in situations where public safety is concerned, because we have a potentially violent offender, and, and like you said, it's it's not black and white, and it feels like there are situations where we can use our judgment, right? That's what that's like, really, what the 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 system is predicated on is our our discretion based on the context and based on the factors. I worry that this will sort of become like a Willie Horton situation um, where, you know, there are, there are probably tons of low level offenders who are not sitting in jails right now because of a sort of a reframing or a re-understanding of the cash bail system um, in states like New York. You know, we've, we've heard of more liberal and progressive states trying to figure out how to to do this more equitably, but invariably because of the type of situation society that we live in, those even low level nonviolent offenders are going to commit crimes. Um, and unfortunately some of those crimes are going to result in people dying. And we're going to wonder, you know, why did this, why was this allowed 
to happen. Um, and, and there, and there's no doubt that we can figure out a system that is better than one that simply incarcerates everybody or lets everybody free. Like there's no reason that it has to be one or the other. Um, and yeah, it's, but it, it's challenging and it's particularly challenging in an environment where any case where one thing goes wrong, we hold that up as like, this is what happens when you do X, Y, Z. Like it doesn't matter how many hundreds of that. And, and, you know, and, and this applies probably equally to right and, and left. Um, when somebody dies in prison before their uh, trial date, you know, that is often held up as like, why do we have this bail system that's unnecessarily punitive to people who are sort of, give, you know, what are we doing here? Um, and it's, yeah, it, it, it is a tragedy. And un, unfortunately, it is going to, I think, I think it would be naive to think that we can come up with something that is perfect. It, the idea is to sort of limit the, the injustice in both directions. That's really well said. I don't have much to add to that. I guess I'll say that to kind of circle back to where I started, like how difficult it is to create your own narrative, given like how many people want to force the, the quote unquote narrative, like down your throat, uh, I guess I'll address two from the right. And I'll start with the, um, the Waukesha one is that, you know, we can, we can say that this was a huge mistake by a more liberal reformist prosecutor and prosecution office in, in, in this situation. And we can say that they made a mistake and their mistake cost people lives. And, and that's, that's a terrible tragedy while also still acknowledging that the, the character, the cash bail system that exi- has existed in this country for a long time is really messed up and needs to be reformed. Like those two things can be true. And we can also believe that Kyle Rittenhouse was not guilty and was justice was done for him and also not called him up as some sort of martyr and hero that like, now we have to like venerate, like venerate this kid because of, of like his of killing two people. Right. And so like, I, I think I, I just, the, the narratives bother me. And I guess if, if I was creating my own narratives, that's where I stand with generally speaking with those things. Maybe we do agree too much. Who knows? <laughs> I guess. And I guess my final thing I'll say is that like, I, this has not been an easy week for a lot of people. There are a lot of people that are feeling a lot of things for a lot of different reasons, but I choose to leave this week more optimistic than not with our criminal justice system. It feels like we got a lot of things right this week. Suppose I feel better about it after talking with you. There we go. I guess. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll call it. Have a good weekend, buddy. You too. We stay up all night on Garner Avenue. Debating all the issues of the day No agenda, not yet Talking heads Running around till we forget where it was we began Some mornings you were away Some morning left your ego bruised But what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a Case of lion's head Folks of different minds Because even though it did not share 
Painters we share that American ideal Friends made over arguments In an early morning buzz Need an early morning buzz Learn the hard way But to those who would die upon that hill Quiet truth is better Than a rain Somewhere along the line we seem to have forgotten the value sometimes being wrong. Some mornings you away, the morning lets your ego bruise. But what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. And folks of different minds, because though we didn't share. Opinions we share, loud American ideal. Friends made over arguments in an early morning bus. I need an early morning bus. There's hope behind the bluster, cause though Main Street may not sell, it's full of folks just like you and me. When we have trouble seeing the human for the politics. Trying to find a better way to disagree Some days you win Some days you leave your ego through But what I wouldn't give For the hope I used to find And chase the lion's head And folks are different mind Because though we did not share Opinions we share on that American ideal Friends made over arguments and an early morning buzz, oh, what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. Folks are different mind because though we did not share opinions, we share that American ideal. Friends made over arguments and an early morning buzz. I need an early morning buzz.